Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class is coming to you from the Kotel Ma'aravi, from the Western Wall. And uh, we have a short session today, uh, little words of Torah, uh, dedicated by Avram Simmons in honor of Mrs. Lily Safra Shalom, Leah Badov HaKohen Vechana. Friends, um, I wanted to share with you a very interesting idea. Our parasha teaches us that in the story of Pinchas, Pinchas is rewarded for his act of uh, zealotry, for his act of, uh, of uh, uh, standing up for the Jewish people and their values. He's rewarded in an inoten lo et biriti shalom. And a very common question that's asked by the commentators is it seems like the punishment, the reward, excuse me here, doesn't fit the mitzvah. So we have a, a general idea, the general idea follows that reward and punishment in Judaism is measure for measure. Midah, keneged midah. So one measure for another. So if I did X, then reward is also going to be similar uh, to, the, uh, to the mitzvah that I did. Or if I, uh, you know, I transgressed and I did a certain sin, so then as well the, the transgression dictates that the punishment is going to be in the same arena, in the same area, of the same type, midah kenegim midah, measure for measure. But what seems over here to be the case is that it's the opposite. You know, uh, Pinhas does an act which requires an act of, of, of violence, it requires an act of, uh, of zealotry, of anger. Um, one might imagine that that would have been rewarded by Pinhas being made or put in charge of the army or put in charge of the Vad Mishmeret Atziniyut, like in charge of the, uh, the uh, agency that's, uh, 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 you know, of modesty affairs or something like that. Why in the world would he be given Biriti Shalom, a covenant of peace by God, and, uh, and made into a Kohen, a uh, Kohen whose job is to bring the people closer to the people, bring the people closer to God? And the answer, I think, is actually, it's quite uh, a revealing answer. Not just as we always learn in the context and in the current state of the conversation, but also to a much wider conversation as well. You see, whereas what we are looking at with regards to Pinchas's action is an act uh, of, uh, uh, of strength, an act of uh, intervention, of, uh, of violence, like we said. Uh, but what Boreo Lam saw instead was an act of peace. You know, the aftermath of, uh, of the story of the Benot Moav and the rebellion that the Jewish people were running was a massive plague breaking out. And we know that 24,000 people from the tribe of Shimon perished in this plague. And, um, and the Pasuk says that when Pinhas did what he did, he stopped the anger, he stopped the plague from continuing. And I did not... Wipe out the Jewish people in my uh, in my uh, jealousy, in my uh, in my zealotry, etc., etc. And I think that there's something here which is super, super powerful. That means what looked to us like an act of machloket, of fighting, of anger, was perceived by God to be actually the exact opposite—an act of shalom, of bringing the Jewish people closer to their Father in heaven, and stopping something negative from happening uh, to them. So therefore. The act of violence is rewarded with British Shalom, with a covenant of peace. And, and uh, I'm reminded of, uh, of something that we live with, an example that we live with every single day uh, in Eretz Israel. And I'm looking around and I'm seeing the places here. You know, the Kotel is the holiest place on earth. 
a place that the Jewish people come to, we pray, we pour out our hearts to God, etc., etc. But at the same time, if you look at, at this place, it was only conquered because in the aftermath of 67, when they came to you to Yerushalayim, and 73 as well, uh, you know, in the, in the aftermath uh, of that story, Eretz Israel was shored up, it was uh, 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 achieved by the fact that Arabs, the Arab nations came against the Jewish people, and the, the uh, valiant soldiers of Tzahal, with the help of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, were able to fight back. And it was the fight that actually brought a peaceful existence to the Jewish people. And unfortunately, this is something that gets so twisted all the time in the news, and there's pictures of you know the Israeli army and soldiers and uniforms and guns and making it seem like they're the aggressors. It's actually the weaponry of the Israeli army, of course, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu's uh, uh, incredible help. Without God, we would, we would be unable to do anything. Um, but it is the act, so, so to speak, of having that army that creates peace, not that creates, that creates war. And this question actually is something that everyone needs to think about uh, in their own lives, you know. Is, is that the nature of who we are or not? In other words, when it comes to a person's own shalom bait, a lot of times a person might think that for the sake of shalom, the only thing that's required is him not doing anything, not responding acting only in a peaceable manner. But sometimes you have a husband or wife that's stepping all over the other person. And there's no possibility of shalom in that, uh, in that context and in that model because the other person is being squished and squeezed and pressured to such a stage that until they actually learn to stand up for themselves and push back and say, no, I can't do that, or this, this is not how it's going to work, until they fight back, there's no possibility of shalom. The only possibility they have in that home might be tyranny. A person's in a relationship, and the other partner is taking, uh, is completely taking advantage of them. So, you know, you might think, for the sake of shalom, I'll just let them take advantage of me. I'll let them do whatever they want. I'll let them say whatever they want. Actually, no. The price of shalom in that scenario is actually going to be a person standing up to shalom and fighting against for the sake of shalom. Now, how could it be that a fight is for the sake of shalom? How's that possible? And when does that uh, does that stop happening? When at what stage do we say that fighting is fighting and shalom is shalom? And the answer is, it's an amazing thing that actually it depends on where the person's perspective and their mind is. So Pinehas, he was someone who had no intentions of doing anything other than bringing the shalom between Hashem and the Jewish people, and he was able to maintain that. Someone once came to Rav Yisrael Salanter and he said, you know, this person is doing uh, these things, you should really stand up, you should make a speech, you should yell, you should scream, you should protest. And Rav Yisrael Salanter said, you know something, the first two minutes of that speech, it's going to be the Shem Shammai, 100%. Maybe the second and the third minute of that speech, I'm going to be totally Shem Shammai for the right purpose. I'll be able to overcome my own biases and my intentions and my focus will be for that reason. But I don't know what's going to happen in minute four, in minute five, in minute six, in minute seven. By the time I get to minute six or seven, maybe I'm already fighting about my honor. Maybe I'm already fighting because I want to be, I want to take some of that power that that person has and take it for myself. So what we see is that they're, they're, uh, the, the guiding principles of your actions have to be uh, your, uh, your final intentions and where you're trying to get to. So if, as an example, a person is fighting with their spouse 
and they're fighting because they're angry, then it doesn't matter where they're trying to get to because ultimately their intentions will take them where, where they want to go. Whereas if the person can maintain the entire time, what am I trying to do? There's many times, actually, that opposites of things are what yield those things. So as an example, the opposite of shalom is sometimes machloket. Sometimes that's what needs to take place. We need to fight in order to be able to get and to create parameters where we can have a peaceful existence. And sometimes exactly the opposite. A person thinks, you know something, this person, I need to stand up for myself. I need to fight with them. Sometimes actually killing with kindness is the way to go. So in this, in a nuanced understanding of the world, a person can realize that sometimes opening your arms up is the best way to vanquish an enemy. And sometimes the opposite. If a person has a friendship that's not developing or they have a business relationship which is not healthy because they haven't created those boundaries. So the fight of the boundaries is what will create shalom. How many th- things in your life are you dealing with where what's required to achieve the desired result is the opposite of what you would naturally assume to be the case. It takes a little bit of focus this, a little bit of introspection, and when a person has that and they have an honest understanding of themselves, then oftentimes the exact opposite route to what you would have thought would achieve what you want is what will get you there. You know, I'll end with this. The Beit HaMikdash is destroyed, says the Gemara, mitoch anvitanuto shel Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkulas. He was a big Sadiq. He was the head of the Sanhedrin. And when they came to him to ask about bringing the Korban of the Roman uh, Caesar in the time of Kamtza Bar Kamtza, so he was humble. And because he was humble, he decided that he should offer his opinion first. Because in the Beit HaMikdash at the Sanhedrin, the greatest person offered his opinion last. And the smallest person offered his opinion first. And the, uh, and the Halakha says, though, that the, the, the larger the opinion, uh, it outweighs the smaller opinion. So therefore, if the second to, uh, if the biggest, per- if the second to biggest person went first, then the third to biggest person wouldn't be, uh, have a place to be able to argue with him. So Rav Zechariah ben Avkulas, he was the Av Betin, when should he have gone? He should have gone last. But what did he do? He said, ah, I'm a nobody, I'm a nothing. He offered his opinion first. Once his opinion was rendered, the other rabbis of Sanhedrin, they couldn't offer an opinion that would argue with his opinion. And in that state, they had to listen to what he had to say, and he made the wrong decision, and the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed because his decision was incorrect. So because of the humility of Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkulas, the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. My friends, sometimes humility um, produces the exact opposite intention. He wanted to offer other people the kavod, but actually it was his humility that forced them to not be able to have an opinion at all. He, he in that moment, should have recognized his own greatness and actually waited until the very end. That's what we're learning from that moment, says the Maharsha. My friends, a lot of times a person is sitting back in the wings and saying, oh, I'm so, it's not my place, I'm humble, it's not appropriate. But meanwhile, actually, what's needed in this time is exactly the opposite approach. Someone needs to stand up. Someone needs to say something. Someone needs to uh, protest. And, and not for the sake of anything else, but to keep in mind and focus, what, is my, what do I hope to achieve? What is the end game over here? And with the eyes locked on that prize, oftentimes a person, by using the opposite method, method of what they think they need to do, they'll achieve the desired result. My friends, be creative in your problem solving. 
be humble and be focused in the way that you administer that problem solving. And Be'ezrat Hashem, if your intentions are pure, then the balanced approach is what always wins the long game. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.